Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, uh, I've already told you it's Palm Sunday. I like Palm Sunday, don't you? Uh, it, it is the beginning of what we in the church world call Holy Week. Uh, it is the beginning of a time where we realize that transformation is about to come. Something different is about to happen. Jesus knows it, and it begins this week-long period of time where the transformation begins to take place. Now today, I want to speak to you for just a few moments, and I've entitled the message today, He Came, He Saw, and He Conquered. Now, I, uh, these words were attributed to Julius Caesar many years ago. But a few years back, I bought my father-in-law a baseball cap, uh, you know, and, and on it, it had a picture of a saw and a hammer, and it said on there, I came, I sawed, and I fixed it. And I thought, well, that's very appropriate for him because he's a do-it-yourselfer. He, uh, he can fix just about anything. And, uh, you know, I remember when the, grand, when the kids were little, his grandkids, they would break a toy or whatever, and when he would come to visit... Uh, he would see if he could fix that and repair it and, and bring it back to a state of, uh, of being whole. And so uh, it was a very appropriate gift for him because he would literally come, he would saw, and he would fix it. Well, I want to suggest to you today that Palm Sunday was the beginning of a time when Jesus came and he saw and he conquered what needed to be conquered so that we could have salvation today. So I want us to uh, look at this week. I, I don't know about you, but there have been times that I really just wondered what it was like to be there in that setting and in that season of time. We talk about Holy Week, and oftentimes we don't know what really took place during that week. And so today I want to share with you what happened during Holy Week every day and then how that is relevant to our lives today. So if you have your Bibles, just hold them close and, and we'll go to the various scriptures today and you'll be able to follow along. So what happened on Sunday, Palm Sunday? Well, if you remember, uh, Jesus had been getting them ready for quite some time now and telling them that he didn't come to stay, but he came to, to die and to be crucified and to go away. He'd been sharing this information with them now for quite some time. And so now he was readying them and preparing them for the fact that the time has come. All of these things now are begin to, going to begin to happen, and they're going to begin to happen very quickly, and it's going to move from one situation to another situation to another very, very quickly. So we begin on Sunday uh, as what we call Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem where he was greeted warmly by the crowd. He was accompanied by his disciples and he rode in on a colt. How many of you remember that he told his disciples, I want you to go into Jerusalem and when you enter the city, there will be tied there a colt that has never been ridden. I want you to untie that colt and bring him to me because I have need of him. And they said, well, Jesus, what will happen if the owner of the colt says uh, that we're not going to let you do that? And he said, 
just tell them that the master has need of the colt and they will release it to you. So they brought the colt and they brought it to Jerusalem, or to Jesus, and they started this procession into Jerusalem with Jesus sitting on the colt. Now crowds of people begin to come. And they were, they were standing almost elbow to elbow. They were standing shoulder to shoulder. There were people everywhere. And the scripture tells us that they were taking off their outer tunics and they were laying them in the street in front of the colt as Jesus was riding in. And so they would lay their coats down on the ground. And then those who didn't have an outer tunic on, they were cutting off palm branches. And they were, they were putting them on the ground because they realized that someone was among them who was worthy of this type of worship. And they began to say things like this. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I would just like one time for us all to come into worship together with other things off of our mind, with the realization that Jesus Christ is in this place to be honored and worshiped. And we would begin to give him that kind of glory and praise and honor. I'm telling you, praise is transformational in our lives. And that's what they were doing. They were giving honor to him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus' popularity was at an all-time high here. He was more popular than he had ever been because when he taught, he taught with power. He wasn't just saying words, but he was speaking words that were changing people's lives. People were hearing what Jesus was saying, and by his words, their lives were being transformed. It was changing their hearts. People who were upset and angry and mad and mean people were being changed into a, a new personality type. Their, their, their heart was being changed. Some of them, he was laying his hands upon them and healing their bodies Physically, he even raised Lazarus from the dead when he went to the tomb and they rolled the stone back and he called forth and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He had one time been dead, but now he was alive again because of the mighty power of Jesus Christ. He was probably one of the most popular people in the Far East at that time. All you had to do was to say the name Jesus. Now what we need to understand about this is that Jesus was a common name. It's just like John in America. There are a lot of people that are named John. There are a lot of people named Brenda. We've got a lot of Brendas just in our church. It's a very common name. A very popular name. And so when they spoke the name Jesus, they could have been referencing many other people who lived during the day of Jesus Christ. But there was something about just saying that name of Jesus because they had heard the stories. They were aware of what he was doing. They were aware of his power. They were aware of his authority. And even if they did not know him personally, just the very mention of his name was causing them to come and want to see with their eyes who this Jesus was. And we can relate to that today because of our presidential polit uh, political process that's going on right now. I, I, I've been alive a long time and I don't think I've ever seen it as crazy as it is 
this time around where people are just coming uh, in droves to come out and just see the candidate wanting to get a selfie made with certain ones and and now they're starting to block roads and streets because that's not the candidate that I want to support and so I don't want you to be able to arrive it's crazy in the streets amen well on this day it was crazy in the streets because they were there wanting to get their eyes on this, this man named Jesus. They lined the streets. There were political activists they were, that were there. They thought that Jesus was going to come and banish the Roman government. So that he could establish his own government and lead according to his authority. And that's all they cared about. They were tired of, of operating in the current system, political system. And they wanted Jesus to come and transform it all. They would have voted for him for president because they wanted him to come and establish his own government. But, but we know that Jesus did not come to establish a government on this earth. He came for another reason. There are others who came that wanted to witness his supernatural power. They had heard about all the healings. They had heard about how that he had raised the dead to life. They had heard about how he had changed and transformed people. They had heard stories about Jairus who came and said, my little girl is dying and will you come and heal her? And as they are going down the road to go to Jairus' house, a little lady with the issue of blood began to crawl through the crowd. She She'd been to all the doctors. She'd spent everything that she had in order to get healed. She was out of options. There was only one other option available to her. And it was somehow pressing through that crowd and getting hold of the hem of Jesus Christ. And she got on her knees and she pushed through. And she got close enough that she could reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And the scripture said that Jesus immediately stopped and said, Who touched me? The disciples said, you've got to be out of your mind, Jesus. There are people everywhere here. They are, the, the scripture uses the word throng. In other words, it, there were just people everywhere. And they said, there are so many people here. How can you know that somebody touched you? And he said, I know that someone touched me differently than everybody else has been touching me because I felt virtue go out of my body. And the scripture says that she came up and she said, it was me. And she told him the whole story. Not a, not a cliff note version. Not a summary of it. She told him the whole story. But as she began to speak about how that she was healed, the instant that she touched the hem of his garment, people's faith began to build and rise and realize that Jesus Christ was able to do that. And what about Jairus? They came to him and they said, don't bother Jesus anymore because your daughter's not sick anymore. She's dead. And he just kept on walking. He didn't let anything deter him. And he just kept on going after having told Jairus, don't you dare be afraid. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare lose hope because she shall be healed. Amen. And he goes and he puts all the doubters out. I've always wanted to preach a sermon on that, but I never have. He just asked all the doubters, just get on out of the room. I can't work in a spirit of doubt. 
but he put them out and he walked over and he didn't have a Jericho march. He didn't fall out on the floor. He didn't spit on anybody. He just went over to the little girl and he said, Rise, damsel, to Letha Kumai, arise and be healed. And she sat up on the side of the bed and she walked like a 12-year-old ought to walk. Now all these people had heard those stories. They had heard what Jesus was capable of doing. And on this day, this Palm Sunday in Jerusalem, they came by the hundreds and the thousands to honor this man named Jesus. It's interesting that when, when Jesus came, he had a mission while everyone else had an agenda. Jesus had a mission while everyone else had an agenda. Their agenda was save me. Their agenda was heal me. Their agenda was I need finances. Their agenda was I need my family restored. Their agenda was I need my marriage restored. Their agenda was I need my children to get off drugs. My, their agenda was everything fleshly that they could think of. But Jesus while he cared about their needs, uh, he was on mission. He wasn't there for their agenda. He was there because he had his eyes set on Calvary. Amen. And that was what he was going to do. So Sunday was an interesting day. It was a day of popularity. Monday was a different kind of day. It was a day when Jesus began to establish his authority. He began to establish the fact that God would give him all authority and all power. That everything would become his footstool. Because what we see on Monday, Monday was the day when he walked into the temple and he cleared it. It was the day that he overturned the tables. And he said in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, one of the verses he said, He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he goes into the house of God and he says, what you have made with my house is unacceptable and therefore I am going to act in the authority that is mine and turn these tables and run you out and drive you out and declare that my house is to be a spiritual house a place of prayer. He exerted his authority. And then after he leaves the temple, he's walking down the roads there and he gets hungry and he goes over to a fig tree and he sees that there are no figs on the tree and so he curses the barren fig tree. In Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19, it says, And in the morning, Monday morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said, he spoke to the fig tree, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Monday was a day when Jesus began to exert his authority. He began to set an example from the people of God that you don't have to live any old way. You don't have to live submitting to your problems. You don't have to live under the weight of those things in your life that are not bringing forth fruit. 
You don't have to live according to standards and processes that are not exalting to the Lord. You have power and authority through Jesus Christ to change the circumstance that you're in. Amen. You can speak to the religious elite and have it changed. You can speak to those things that are not bearing fruit in your life and turn it around. He is saying to us, we have power and authority to be overcomers in this life. And so on Monday, they saw him exerting his his authority as he spoke. And then on Tuesday, Jesus began to preach and teach in Jerusalem. He started early in the morning and he preached and taught all day long. It was a day of teaching. It was the last opportunity that Jesus would have to be able to impart information to people. It would be the last opportunity that he would be able to say to someone, this is what you need to know about this circumstance. And so he began to share parables with them. He talked about the parable of the talents on Tuesday. He talked about the parable of the ten virgins on Tuesday. And then he started telling them, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to come again one of these days. I can't tell you when, but I'm telling you, you just got to be patient and wait because one of these days I am coming again and I'm going to take those who are my people so that where I am, you will be forever with me. And so he begins to teach. He begins to talk about the great commandment, the signs of the times. When you begin to see these things take place, don't become afraid. Don't begin to worry, but instead start looking because I'm coming again. Fix your eyes upon the eastern skies and and I will come again. So Tuesday was a day of teaching. Wednesday is what scholars call Spy Wednesday. Because it was on Wednesday that he was sold out by Judas. It is the day when Judas... A disciple who turned betrayer agreed to show the chief priest where they could easily capture Jesus. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Just a small amount of money. And he was willing to say, in fact, they said in those days you could buy a servant for about 30 pieces of silver. And so they were, he was selling Jesus out for that price. It was a day when the spy was, was selling him out. The, the spy was pointing his finger at Jesus in a way that Jesus could be done away with. But on a day that would have been very disheartening to Jesus, it was also a beautiful day because later in the evening, Wednesday night, he was relaxing at dinner. The scripture says that they were reclining at the table and eating dinner. I don't know what they were eating. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Krispy Kreme donuts. But whatever it was, it was good. And they were reclining there. And it was there that Jesus began to say, something is is going to happen. Uh, You're going to betray me. The betrayer is even in the room. And then later on, as he's relaxing, a lady comes in. And she has an alabaster box that is very valuable. And she comes and she kneels at the feet of Jesus on this Wednesday night. And she opens that box and she takes out that oil and she begins to anoint his feet and then dry the, the, his, her, his feet with her hair. It was a moving moment 
Some of them got upset by it. Why would she waste this valuable oil? Why would she throw this away? That, that could have been sold and the money could have been brought into the treasury of the church. Why? And he said, he said this was a beautiful act. She was doing it to anoint him for the burial that would soon come. This is a beautiful act of worship. You leave her alone because from this day forward, people around the world are going to hear about her love and the worship that she gave me through this act. All of that happened on Wednesday and then Thursday. In the church, we refer Thursday as Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday. It is the day before Jesus' crucifixion. As I was thinking about that this week, I was just thinking, Jesus knew that in 24 hours that he would die. He knew that on the next day he would give his life and he was willing to do it. On that Thursday, he struggled with the emotions of knowing what was coming. It would be like today, us being given a, 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 a report from a doctor. And telling us, you don't have much time left. It's not going to be long before you will die. And that was the case with Jesus. He knew that on the next day that he would be dying and fulfilling the mission that he had come to do. And so Thursday was a very intimate day. It was a day that he chose to spend with with the people that he loved the most and the people that had been walking with him and traveling with him and, and being close to him. And so here's what happened on Thursday. He washed the disciples' feet on Thursday. He kneeled down before them and he took the role of a servant and he began to wash their feet and he took the towel that was there and he began to wipe their feet. They didn't like Have you ever been in a foot washing service? It's one of the most humiliating things for the one who is receiving the foot washing. It was not quite as much so in those days because they were accustomed to washing their feet every time that they came inside. They would remove their sandals and they would wash their feet. One of the servants there of the household would wash their feet and dry them so that they could enter into the household. So they were accustomed to it. But they were not accustomed to the Savior washing their feet. They were not used to the one that they had been serving to become a servant and kneel at their feet and wash their feet and dry them with a towel. It was that night that he instituted the Last Supper. It was that night that he gave them uh, the bread and, and the wine and he shared with them the importance of that. And he said to them, as often as you do this, you need to remember what I have done for you. And then after the supper, Thursday was the night that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night that he went there to pray. And he took his closest disciples with him. And he said, pray with me. And he prayed there. And he began to pray things like this. Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, God, I, I wish that you'd do that right now. But if not, thy will be done. He prayed under such strain that we are told that his sweat became like great drops of blood. That's what happened on Thursday. And as he's kneeling and praying, he comes over to his disciples and they're asleep and he says to them, 
could you not tarry with me even one hour? And then he goes back and prays more and he comes back again, finds him asleep again. And he says, could you not, could you not pray one hour? And he goes and prays a third time and then finally he comes back and he says, come. He said, take your rest. It is time. The time for my betrayal is at hand. And just about that time, here comes Judas leading the army and he kisses. He is betrayed by a kiss. As Jesus, or as Judas puts a, a, a kiss upon his cheek, betrayed by one of his closest. This is Thursday. And so he's taken, he's arrested, he is put in jail on Monday, Thursday, and then Friday. It's interesting to me that we call Good Friday, Good Friday, the day that he died. We call it good. It is the day he not only is in jail, but his trial takes place. And after the trial, which by the way was set up, he was crucified. And after he was crucified, he died and he was buried in a, a borrowed tomb. It was on Friday that, that we are told that John chapter 10 verse 18 declares that they did not take his life from him, but he did this voluntarily. Because the scripture says, no one takes my life I lay it down myself. He chose to die for you. He chose to die for me. He chose to die for the world and its sins. And he laid his life down. While he's hanging on the cross, we hear his seven last words. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On Luke, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, we hear him say to a thief that is standing or that is being crucified, one on his right, on his left, and he speaks to the one and he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, he looks down at his mother and he says, Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. And he speaks and utters those words. Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15 and 34. He has a spiritual moment when he realizes that all of the sin of the world has been laid upon him. And he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John chapter 19, 19 and verse 28 he is thirsty his body is breaking down he is dying on the cross and he begins to to feel the effects of that and he says I thirst and then in John chapter 19 verse 30 after a few moments of being thirsty and having a sponge full of vinegar stuck up on his mouth he, sp he spread out and he utters these words he says it is finished and then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, we hear him say, Father, under your hands, I commit my spirit. He's crucified. He's crucified. This is the week that Jesus was crucified. It's what we have set aside to celebrate the reality that he died for all of us. Crucified. What happened then? Was it not a big deal? Did they just quietly take him down? No. The scripture tells us that in response to what had happened on that cross at Calvary, 
the sky went dark. The sun refused to shine. The earth began to quake at the death of Jesus. And as I have already told you, the veil inside the temple, which was put there so that man could never access the Holy of Holies and the presence of God, was torn from the top all the way to the bottom, signifying that things are different now. No longer is it just the high priest that goes in once a week, but now everyone has access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. It happened. Scholars say that what I just described to you is what they call the divine exchange. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that Jesus was made sin so that we could be made righteousness. We were the sinners. We were born into sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never committed sin. The only sin that he ever felt the weight of was your sin and my sin as it was laid upon him by God the Father. That sin, your sin, my sin was laid upon him. And that's the only sin that he ever felt. But he felt it. But on that day, he was made sin so that you and I could be sinless. So that you and I could exchange our sin. And it could be taken away from him. I'm going to tell you the best thing that's ever happened in my life. As much as I love my wife and honor her. And she's been such a wonderful blessing to me. As much as I love my parents. As much as I love my children. And and now my extended children. and, And my grandchildren. And I do. I love them so very much. As much as I love you, as the family of God, I have to tell you that the greatest blessing that I've ever experienced in my life happened to me many years ago in Fresno, California when I heard the voice of the Lord calling me and telling me to come, that He was there. He had not left me. He had not forsaken me. He was there. And as I knelt at that altar in Fresno, California, what happened there that night was the divine exchange where my sin was finally and forever lifted off of me so that I could walk in righteousness. And today I stand before you today as a free man. I'm no longer condemned. There is therefore no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but walk in the Spirit of God. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Today, if you've accepted Him as your personal Savior, you are free. You are whole. You are sinless. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And on Friday night, he was taken down off of the cross. He was prepared for burial, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb owned by Joseph. That's found in Luke chapter 23. What happened on Saturday? Sometimes people are mistaken. They think, well, nothing happened on Saturday because he was inside the tomb. You couldn't be more wrong. Because what was happening on Saturday was happening in the spirit realm. Jesus was doing in the realm of the spirit which could not be seen with fleshly eyes. But he wasn't taking a nap. 
He wasn't just laying there resting. No, his soul separated from his body and his soul took a journey into hell. The scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, it says, we suspect, and these are the leaders there, we suspect that his disciples will come and steal the buried body by night and then proclaim to the people that his resurrection is true. As that deceiver himself foretold while he was yet alive. And then the last deception shall be worse than the first. And after they had said these things to Pilate and received his permission, they went and they sealed the tomb and they assigned a watch for security that is guards from among the soldiers who were appointed to guard the city. That's found in Matthew chapter 27. So those guards are standing outside. They're guarding the tomb. They're, they're prepared. They have their weaponry there. They're not going to let anybody in. And they don't think they're going to let anybody out. But what they don't know is that the body that they are guarding is only a body. The soul of Jesus Christ is actively involved in defeating the very gates of hell. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 says, Therefore it says that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill or fulfill all things. Amen. When he marched into Hades that day, the devil was sad that he came. Because he didn't come just to visit. He didn't come just to get him a latte. He didn't come just to hang out. He came in there and the very fact that he came through the entryway of Hades uh, sent a message to the devil. You can't keep me uh, from coming in anywhere I want to come in. You can try to keep me out of hell, but you cannot keep me. I have destroyed the gates of Hades. Uh, I can go where I please. And now that I'm here, there's a few people people here who have been held in captivity by your dirty hands but today I'm going to set them free and take them with me and he took captivity and he set them free and he led them out so that they could be free he freed them all of this happened on Saturday when everybody thought nothing was going on Saturday was the day when things were happening in the spirit realm can I just tell somebody today that you're in a moment and a season and a time of your life where it feels like Friday, but it's not Friday, it's Saturday. It seems like nothing's happening, but God, he's busy. God's doing things. He is working in the realm of the spirit. He is moving the chess pieces. He's moving this thing to over here and that thing to over there. Oh, I know you think it's Saturday. I know you think he's dead and in a grave. I know that you think he's inactive, but let me tell you, he has never been more active than he is right now in your life. He is moving things around in the spirit realm so that you can be free and set free. All you've got to do is somehow focus your attention not on your circumstances but on the reality of a Savior who is not dead in a tomb but he is active in the realm of the Spirit moving things around before you. 
I don't know about you. I have discovered that Chick-fil-A has good ice cream cones. I don't like creamy ice cream. If you like it, Godspeed, be with you. I don't care what your politics are either. I don't like creamy ice cream as good as I like icy ice cream. That's just me. I like for it to, I like for it to hurt my teeth. I, I like to be able to experience brain freeze from it. Maybe you know what that is. Where you take a bite and you immediately go, ooh. And here's the point I'm trying to make. I've gotten to where now I anticipate the ice cream. I mean, I, I start at breakfast. Oh, praise God. Eat my little biscuit here today. Eat my sausage. Hallelujah. But ice cream's on the way. It may be breakfast, but ice cream's on the way. Go to lunch, I ate me a bologna sandwich, put a little jalapeno cheese on the outside of it, a little mayonnaise, some of those stacker pickles on there. Get me a few Fritos and put them on the side. Get me a, some of that crystal light lemonade and sit down, lay my hands on it. Thank God. Take all the carbs out of it. Bless it to my body in Jesus' name. And I eat that bologna sandwich, and is it going down? I'm saying, oh, it's lunchtime, but ice cream's coming. It's lunchtime, and ice cream's coming. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And then supper comes, and I start eating my supper, whatever it is. Wherever my wife has told me we're going to go eat, that's where we go. Wherever she goes, that's where I want to go. I want to be with her. Amen. Brother and sister, heard I intend to make 50 years if the Lord will let me and then beyond, and I'm going to do every day of it with her. And I like it. I like to eat supper. But while I'm putting the chicken in my mouth, I'm thinking, praise God for supper, but ice cream's on the way. Do you understand where I'm going with this? One preacher used to say it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen. I'm here to tell somebody today, you may be in the Saturday of your life, you're not down. You're not out. You're not defeated. The angels of heaven are lining up your blessing, and it's getting ready to be delivered to you. Sunday's coming. Hallelujah. Come help me quit, if you will. Then Sunday, what we'll celebrate next week. Boy, I hope you don't come in here next week. It's Easter. I ate so much peanut butter this week, peanut butter eggs. I don't know if I can worship Jesus or not. Let me tell you something. If you can't worship Jesus on Easter, there's something bad wrong with you. When I was a kid growing up, I used to wake up every Easter hearing my mom and dad sing, singing this song. Up from the grave he arose. You know it? With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose a victor on the dark domain, and he lived forever with the saints to say, He are, He are, Hallelujah. 
Christ. <laughs> that stone was rolled back. Mary saw him. 500 witnesses saw him to verify that he had risen again. I mean, everywhere that he was, people were seeing and witnessing. Isn't this the man who said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. They thought he was talking about a building. They thought he was talking about a building that could not ever be raised up in three days. He wasn't even talking about that. He said, if you destroy this temple, he said, you need to know that in three days, uh, I'm going to build it back up. It's going to be raised back up again. I'm telling you, he rose again. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's that easy. If you'll just confess with your mouth. And believe in your heart. That he was raised from the dead. You will be saved. Now I know what you're asking. How's that relevant to me? That all happened a long time ago. Pastor, that's a wonderful little history lesson that you just gave us. I can go home now and I can tell my family about what happened on Holy Week. Let me tell you why it's relevant. If you throw all of the life that Jesus lived throw it out except for the last week holy week that alone is enough to convince you that everything that you'll ever face in your life he felt and he experienced and because he felt it and he experienced it he can give you the answer that you need to overcome it one week one week Listen to what scripture says. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Since then we have. Say I have. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus. Say Jesus. The son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You have a high priest who has paid the price for everything that you'll ever face. You want me to prove it to you? He said, I need some help in my body. Good news for you. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was abused. He took stripes upon his back physically so that you physically could be in health. Isaiah 53 and 5 prophesies and says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and by his wounds we are healed if you have a bodily need today he has paid the price for you today I say well I'm okay physically but emotionally I'm just falling apart I've got good news for you today Matthew 26, 37, 38, and 39 says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let his cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. But as you will, he was emotionally crushed. Jesus had known from the very beginning of time that he would come to this moment. And when he came to this moment, it still affected him emotionally. But he did not allow his emotions to cause him to be defeated. And you don't have to let your emotions get the best of you today. He's paid the price for you to be emotionally stable. Spiritually, Matthew 27, 46, and 50 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He experienced spiritual trial difficulty just like many of you are facing today but aren't you glad to know today that because he lives because he lives because he lives I can face whatever I have to face whether I have to face it today or whether I have to face it tomorrow whether I have to face it a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now, because He lives, I can face whatever I have to face. Holy week. Every day of the week, Jesus had you in mind. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Resurrection Day. He rose again so that you could live. Will you stand with me this morning?